Kiora, and welcome to RNZ's Insight program. This week, is online porn serving as the new sex ed teacher? How damaging is easy access to online pornography for impressionable young minds? The Prime Minister says there's no evidence of a fast-growing or overwhelming problem, but schools and parents are seeing otherwise. Insight looks at the vexed issue of online porn, the anxiety of schools and parents, and what's being done to help young people navigate the minefield. Tonight we're going to tread into territory that's tough to talk about as individuals, as parents, as schools and as a society. Many people find the topic of pornography confronting and provocative. My hope is that this evening we can explore something of the significance for young people and the importance that we equip young people to navigate a new cultural reality because pornography is having a significant impact on the lives of many young people, young people who seek it out, but also young people who don't. And it's time that we talked about it with a matter of urgency. Marie Crabb is centre stage at the Otago Boys High School Auditorium in front of about 250 people, mostly parents. The Australian educator has visited this country five times in the past year and a half to deliver training and speak at events about the prevalence of online pornography and its pitfalls when it gets into the wrong hands. Porn is everywhere. It's a massive global industry. It's estimated to be worth about 24.9 billion US dollars each year and to account for about 30% of all internet traffic. This is a study of 13 to 16 year old Australians. It found that 93% of boys and 61% of girls had been exposed to pornography online. That's pretty consistent with other international research, but it's also from 2006, before smartphones and it's before one-to-one laptop and tablet programs became common in secondary schools and in primary schools. Outside the Dunedin session, the principal of the girls-only St Hilda's Collegiate, Jackie Barron, says the porn industry is taking a tactical approach. Pornography is targeting our kids. They're going after our kids now the way the tobacco industry went after teenagers 40 years ago, you know, when the cigarettes were with the lollies at eye level in the dairy. So this is, this is just the 21st century version of that, and our students need as much support as they can. And if they are struggling with pornography or how it's shaping the way they see themselves or others see them, then I think we need to support them as much as we can. Marcel Nader-Turner is the guidance counsellor at St Hilda's and has a master's degree in adolescent relationship violence. She spends a lot of time helping girls deal with the expectations online pornography sets. What's happening a lot of the time is that they're talking about things that are happening with their boyfriend that they feel really uncomfortable about except because I'm the girlfriend I have to do these things because that's what's expected of me. And this is absolutely normal and this is what everybody else is doing and this is what I'm seeing. And that, that's the problem, I guess, is that when something's normalised but it doesn't feel right, the end result is, mm, this must be something wrong with me. And so this you know, self-doubt and self-esteem issues and, and anxiety, I mean, anxiety and depression in our young people is the biggest issue that we have in our Western world with young women in particular. And these particular issues around sexuality and what they think they are supposed to be as young women and what that does for them in terms of that's what I'm supposed to be but that's not who I want to be and that's not who I feel comfortable with is really um, 
perpetuating a whole lot of mental unwellness that we're seeing in our young women. And let's not forget the the young men who are doing things that probably don't feel right either, but that's what you need to do to be a good guy. Marcel Nader-Turner says the light bulb often comes on for teenage girls when she queries the influence of pornography in their relationships. So I bring up that question and you sort of see this wee flicker of, oh yeah, actually does spend quite a lot of time watching pornography and and there's this sort of clunk, clunk, clunk thing that happens. And, you know, girls, say they'll start crying in my office when they realise that actually the relationship they're having is based on something that's got absolutely nothing to do with them as a person, but it's just a, a play out of, a, of something else that they've watched and that they are just the prop. Yeah, so it, it's not pretty. I'm Tim Graham, and this RNZ Insight explores the challenge online pornography poses for young people, the lack of research on its effects, and the appetite for doing something about it. There's not a lot of people I know that haven't ever watched porn. I don't think any people. <laughs> they don't pay for it, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah it's definitely. free. When boys start having sex, they imagine porn. Porn is increasingly setting the agenda, setting the agenda for young people's sexuality. That's where we sort of got our grasp on what's normal and what's not. When she's not speaking to groups, Marie Crabb is making documentaries like this one called The Porn Factor. She says she's often told of the pressure being heaped on young women because of porn. A common story that I hear is young men having their sexual taste shaped by what they've seen in pornography and initiating what they've seen with partners. And young women often talk about their partners initiating what they've seen in porn. And the young women talk about really struggling, wanting to please their partners, wanting to be generous, but not wanting to do what they've seen in porn. So there's, you know, the, there are particular sexual practices that pornography is normalising. And the young women talk about pressure to engage in, in these sorts of practices, but feeling very unhappy about it. A Dunedin father, Harold Bernhardt, was among those at Marie Crabb's session. I've been concerned about pornography, you know, in terms of my kids for quite a long time. You know, for a while I've got five boys, and um, five teenage boys, and, you know, obviously the um, environment has changed so massively since, you know, I, was a, I grew up in the 1970s. It's just so pervasive and... You know, I've just and I've seen and you know I've seen the effects it has on people's lives. Yeah, it seems like it would be nice if we could just make it stop. I mean, obviously we do use filters, but you know if we could just stop it at the border sort of thing. You know what I mean? Um, but that's obviously not going to happen. I guess it's a matter of educating, and I I do think the thing that pornography misses out is is the issue of love and respect. These Dunedin mothers who didn't want to be identified have also run into tricky territory with their teenagers. Yes, I have had to confront it. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, yes, with a 13-year-old boy, yeah, just in the everyday kind of use of laptops and stuff like that, it's popped up, so, yeah. The children don't always possibly uh, seek it, but it's, it's in their face, the pop-ups, things like that as well. So it's often something that, that they stumble upon unintentionally. So it's almost as if, like, we, we talk about it with the kids, but the message is just not getting across. The, the peer pressure is a lot stronger than what mum and dad are going to say at home. Kylie Duncan, another mother at the event, agreed parents feel helpless. When my children do something wrong and I want to confiscate their screen, I can't take it away for long because they have to have it for school and they have to have it for homework. So you're powerless as a parent in some ways, which is a really hard position to be in. And I don't know, it's a very hard thing to stop.
The influence of porn persists once young people hit tertiary education, as this student at Victoria University told me. I knew a guy that had two terabytes of it. Oh my god. <laughs> no. That was that was a long time ago. He was weirdly open about it. I don't think it was so much like a bragging about it, but more like a this is just what I do, like a hobby almost. Like more he described it more like a hobby than something to be like ashamed of, I guess. I think when it's that much it's a bit of a concern, yeah. The students say the use of pornography among young men is generally accepted. Yeah, some guys watch way too much porn. Like some girls, it bothers them, particularly in like romantic relationships and stuff like that. But like, I don't think I've ever met a man that had like any sort of like porn addiction or anything. I think anything outside of that is like more or less natural and okay. Is that not what we're taught to? Yeah, I think it does kind of set some standards though that are like not realistic, and that could be an issue. Earlier this year, a young Wellington man, Brody, told RNZ about his heavy use of pornography when he was younger. He described it as a quick and easy way to learn about sex. Wherever there is like reticence to talk openly about sex, that creates the lack of information that porn is one solution to for young men. Um, yeah, and I think you know, in most around most dinner tables in New Zealand, if if it was brought up, you know, it'd be kind of an awkward topic, right? And Brody says it's clear there's a problem with the way porn is used in New Zealand. And I've actually had a chance meeting with someone who's a, a sex educator, and they were saying that their counselling rooms are full of young guys, as young as like 13, 14, who are having trouble like having intimacy in real life situations, erectile dysfunction, because actually being with a partner can't compare to the arousal they've felt on screen. But delving into the internet's murky corners also extends to the very young. Hi, Victoria. Hey, yeah, keep going up the stairs. Right to the top? Yeah. Victoria and her husband are raising their three children on the hilly south coast of Wellington. The biggest thing that's happened for us was um, when my 10-year-old daughter had her friend here and they were in their bedroom, like, up on the top bunk for ages, and I was just like, oh, that's awesome. They had my husband's phone up there, and I actually can't remember if it was me or him, looked at the Google thing, and they'd been searching sex. And I was just like, okay, this is a whole nother level. Like, what they would find if they were googling sex is like, I don't, I don't even want to know what they looked at. But it kind of made me realise that we need to actually step this up a level. The family has since banned the internet in the children's bedrooms and keeps the shared laptop in communal spaces. Victoria says the idea of contending with pornography as a parent is a scary prospect. For me, it's terrifying knowing that my daughter is going to be going out with guys who are getting their sexual education from pornography. For me, as a parent, that is something that is quite horrific. And, yeah, I don't quite know how much I need to do to, pre- pre- to prepare them for that or how much I can do to protect them for that. But, that, you know, I have a son as well, so I also need to make sure that I am teaching him, you know, to respect women and to ask for consent and, you know, all of those things. Do you think parenting is more difficult now than it was 20 years ago because of this? I imagine so. I mean, I don't feel like my parents ever had to have these conversations with me. So if that's anything to go by, then yeah, I do think it's a lot harder now. Hello. 
How are you? Good, how are you? Another striking example exists in the Hutt Valley north of Wellington, where Lucy's family has had to confront the inadvertent viewing of hardcore porn. We knew this family through an extracurricular activity, went to their place, you know, just to hang out. The boys, you know, same age, both seven. They just went off to play Minecraft on the iPad, and, and basically we got a phone call to let us know that the boys had come across some inappropriate content, mm-hmm. basically that it was porn. And unfortunately, we, we had no idea what our son had seen, just that it was porn. And also that um, apparently our son um, was really distraught and wanted the other boy to stop. But, you know, he continued to look at about six different videos, maybe. Lucy says her son needed psychotherapy to help him recover from the experience. All we know is it was very traumatising for him um, and it completely skewed his his idea of what intimacy was. And, And my partner and I just could not even embrace each other or give each other a kiss at the end of the day without our son running in between us, pushing us away, and even at some point saying, I don't want you to hurt mum. Last year, a 14-year-old British boy was reportedly convicted of raping his younger sister after becoming fascinated with incest pornography he found online. The prosecutor, Ian Fenney, is quoted as saying, cases of this nature will increasingly come before the court because of the access young people now have to hardcore pornography. And if you thought such cases are limited to overseas, then think again. And ZATSA is the Australian and New Zealand Association for the Treatment of Sexual Abuse. Its spokesperson, Brandon Wilson, says a case very similar to the UK one has already happened here. We certainly talk to young people who have engaged in harmful sexual behaviour. They report to us they um, have got the idea from pornography. Certainly there are um, clients who have acted out you know, scenes that they have viewed you know, via the internet of pornography. What's an example of that that you can give? A young person who uh, viewed sexual abuse of a child. The scenario in the pornography was a brother against a sister, and that person went on and engaged in harmful sexual behaviour against their own sister. What sort of age? We're talking um, teenager against a child. In New Zealand? Uh, yes. And is this recent? Yes. And how common is this sort of behaviour? Looking across this field, certainly um, it's, it's not uncommon at all. But New Zealand's chief censor, Dr Andrew Jack, who oversees the classification of films and other publications, says so far no parents have come forward to make a complaint about online pornography accessed by their children. As far as I can recall, I've not had anything submitted from a parent um, that specifically relates to online porn, but they, they certainly could. Uh, what we, we do receive a range of different um, films uh, submitted for classification or for reclassification, and we classify them when they, when they come in. So if someone was minded to submit something that they'd found that they were really concerned about in the online world for classification, then we would certainly be um, able to classify that. Andrew Jack says it's a myth that young people are proactively seeking out pornography. You have to be careful not to demonise all young people simply because something is possible. I could go home today and I could drive my car at 180 kilometres an hour down the highway. I choose not to do that because it's a socially irresponsible thing to do. I don't want to do that. I don't want to put myself at risk or my family or my neighbours. And the same thing applies in this space. You can find lots of really horrible things on the internet if you go out and look for it. But the point is, in reality, I don't think people are actually doing that. I don't think young people are doing that necessarily. You can do it, 
but being able to do something and actually having it happen on a, on a mass basis daily is quite a different thing. Getting at porn is as easy as typing the four-letter word into a search engine. The first result is the major website Pornhub, so we'll click through and there it is. In a split second my screen is full. Nine extremely graphic videos and no age verification prompts or anything like that before I'm let in. Figures published in January by Pornhub rated New Zealanders as the fifth highest users of the site in the world last year per capita. New Zealanders spent an average of 10 minutes and 10 seconds per visit on the site. Pornhub said 35% of visitors from New Zealand were women, higher than the global average of 26%. Apart from this company's market research, very few studies exist about pornography and its effects on young people. The educator Marie Crabb points to one done in Europe. A study from Sweden of 16-year-old boys found that 10% of boys were using pornography every day or more often, and a further 63% were using it weekly or more often. So basically three-quarters of 16-year-old boys were using pornography weekly or more frequently. And the mean age for first actively seeking porn was 12.3 years. Do we have any idea of the translation of those sort of findings for Australia, New Zealand? I'm not aware of research in New Zealand about rates of exposure or levels of consumption and we don't have good stats from Australia on that either. There's a real need internationally for there to be you know, more research around young people's exposure and what they're seeing and how they're using it, but also what it means for them, how they're understanding it and how it's impacting, how they understand it impacting on, on their own lives. At Wellington's Victoria University, a doctoral student, Samantha Keane, is aiming to turn the tide on the dearth of research. With the proliferation of online pornography, it feels like we haven't really caught up with thinking about what those impacts might be. We haven't done a lot of research in that area. So my research is very exploratory in nature. It's looking at what's happening, what, what, are, what are people navigating and how are they managing that as they've grown up with access to internet porn. Can you give a sense of the participants? They've been between the ages of 19 and 28. Um, a range of people in student backgrounds and non-student backgrounds. The majority of them have been or are in relationships at the moment, they're just like you and I. They're young people that have grown up in a generation that's had access to hardcore internet pornography and we've been talking about what that has meant for them. And what are these people telling you? They're certainly talking about a real normalisation of pornography. It's something that they're very familiar with, um, particularly in terms of if you think about particular language that might be used in pornography, uh, particularly performers, but also just a familiarity with it that shows they've grown up with having access to it or exposure in some way, shape or form. Some of the participants that I've spoken to have, have spoken about pornography really, really positively. Um, but on the other end of the spectrum, I've obviously spoken with people that have felt that pornography has, you know, been detrimental in their relationship. What do you mean by that? Perhaps for, theoretically, one partner who may be using pornography and the other partner um, doesn't use pornography and feeling like the other partner might be cheating or a bit like an affair, uh, which has certainly been established in previous research to date, particularly um, in clinical samples with 
with women with male partners who use pornography? In 1987, the government appointed a committee of inquiry into pornography, which looked at legislation covering the area and made 202 recommendations for change. Given advances in technology and the easy access that gives young people to pornography, I asked Martin Cocker of NetSafe if it's time such an inquiry is revisited. Yes, I think it's absolutely a time to look at this issue, perhaps within a slightly wider context. But, you know, we as a society have accepted the value of censorship, that we have said that there is content which is harmful to society or to parts of society, and therefore we would empower agencies to do something about that. The problem now is that the internet worked around all of those strategies for protecting the population. And so now we have to rethink the approach rather than rethink whether you know some content is harmful to the population. We've, we've already decided that. So therefore, what we should be doing is we should be saying, okay, well, this is the content that's coming through this pipe. This is the way that it comes through. This is the reality about control mechanisms. Uh, and therefore, what should we do next? And, and I think, you know, for people like the chief censor, that it could be a, a you know, radical shake-up of their functions and powers and, and responsibilities, but, you know, still with the same objective in mind, which is to protect the population or parts of it from content which we consider to be harmful. But the political will to venture into such fraught territory seems almost non-existent, especially in an election year. The Justice Minister, Amy Adams, says there's no consideration of revisiting such an inquiry. Recently, when the Prime Minister, Bill English, was quizzed on whether he was concerned about pornography becoming a wider problem, this is what he had to say. It's not a problem that's easy for, easy for people to speak about or to see, but the... Um when we don't see evidence of it being a fast-growing or overwhelming problem, clearly there's been a big increase in access to pornography through uh, the internet. Uh, so it's good to see relevant organisations dealing with it. It's uh, you know a school or a, a family. That's the right place to deal with uh, that kind of issue. And Bill English doesn't see scope for greater regulation. There's plenty of health issues that the government's got on its plate that are pretty urgent. Uh, and it's an area where it's, you know, it's hard to hard to see just what the regulation would be uh, that might change it. In the end, people make choices. We want them to make good choices. And if a school is taking the responsibility of trying to shape young people's choices, I think that's a good thing. The education minister Hekia Parata sees the onus being on parents to lead the way on sex education. This is first and foremost a family and whānau responsibility. Schools are not responsible for every aspect of our young people's behaviour. So I think that's in the first instance a family responsibility. But certainly in the health and wellbeing guidelines, schools have the option to be engaging in engaging contractors or programmes that they think are a priority. In 2013, the UK Children's Commissioner recommended specialist teaching about access and exposure to pornography be added to the curriculum. Earlier this year, it was announced sex education will become compulsory in all UK schools, including lessons about the dangers of online pornography. All children from the age of four will be taught about safe and healthy relationships, but parents will still have the right to withdraw their child from the classes. But the Ministry of Education here will not prescribe teaching about the dangers of online porn within the curriculum. As it stands, all schools must teach the health and PE curriculum, which covers sex education but doesn't specifically mention pornography.
Separately, there are sexuality education guidelines which mention pornography twice, which are available to schools but are not compulsory. The ministry's Deputy Secretary, Carl LeCain, is confident the existing approach is the right one. We have quite a different education system to the one in the United Kingdom and a really important part of our education system is that schools are governed by elected parents and one of the advantages of that is it enables the parent community to have what they value reflected in what's taught in the schools and we need to leave room for parent communities and their schools to determine how they do that. Now they have the ability now to bring in specialist expertise to help in these areas if that's what they believe is the most important thing to do. Carl LeCain says the Education Ministry constantly faces all sorts of demands to make additions to the curriculum. Schools are being asked to cover off uh, New Zealand history, financial literacy, entrepreneurship. Um, We're often approached around particular aspects of religion, so more and more schools are seeing being seen as the silver bullet to address all the world's ills. And what we try to do with the curriculum is cover off the broad learning areas and provide enough guidance to schools and teachers so they can cover off all these issues as they arise but not put them in a straitjacket. NetSafe's Martin Cocker says he wishes there was more help he could offer to parents. I hate the fact that we don't have really uh, effective responses that we can say to parents, if you do this thing, your, your children will be, uh, you know, they will be safe or they will be protected from, from, from having to grow up that fast, that they'll be, uh, that, you know, be something which you'll be able to delay young people's exposure to. But the, the reality is that's not the case. We can talk to parents and we do talk to parents about what is the impact of, of a young person having a, a device that you give them. Is it internet enabled? Do, do you understand what that means in terms of their ability to, to consume content? You know, there are filtering solutions that can be put in place at, at homes that, that uh, will stop the wireless at home being a, a source of that sort of content. But, you know, the reality is that your child may go to school the next day and then just, you know, share between devices uh, that content with their friends. And if you operate under the assumption as a parent that you'll be able to stop your child accessing pornography, then that would be a mistake. You, you should accept that they can and that they might and build a strategy around that. And unfortunately, that strategy is at this stage having a conversation which is difficult. And the answer I've just given there and the answer that we have to give parents at the moment is suboptimal. But, but that's the reality of, of what we're facing. The doctoral student, Samantha Keane, thinks New Zealand has a way to go before it can properly deal with the thorny topic of pornography. I'm not really sure if we're ready for a solution yet, um, in the sense that I don't think we know enough about what pornography means for people. We make assumptions that people use pornography just to get off or to influence their sex life in some particular way, but I think things are a lot more complex than that. And I think we need to know more about it before we can say that we need to identify a solution. And that solution isn't, in my view, going to be something that will be a quick fix as such, like switching a a switch and all of a sudden, you know, filtering the internet. In the absence of any other help, Wellington mother Victoria says she and her friends are thinking of taking matters into their own hands. Like an evening workshop at the school for parents would be awesome. I imagine that parents would flock to something like that where they could have open conversations about how they can deal with this with their kids and then their parents can talk to each other about it. If all of the the children were kind of given the same information and the same support from their parents, I think that would be a wonderful thing. 
An online petition calling for an expert panel to investigate the public health effects and societal harms of pornography and come up with policy recommendations has attracted about 15,000 signatures. A review of the effectiveness of sex education in intermediate and high schools will run from May to July, led by the Education Review Office. It's expected to report back early in 2018. I'm Tim Graham, and that's Insight for this week. If you'd like to get in touch or share your thoughts on this program, you can email us at insight at radionz.co.nz or our Twitter handle is at insightrnz. Tim Graham wrote and presented that program with additional reporting by Ian Telfer. It was produced by Teresa Cowie with technical production by Mark Chesterman. If you'd like to podcast other Insight programs, head to iTunes or via Android and subscribe, rate and review us or visit the Insight webpage at radionz.co.nz. And thanks for joining us. <laughs>